0: about foundations, you know, what we what we build on. These were multi-layer retaining walls. We're doing six-foot setback, another one, and have to build the bottom one pretty strong because, well, I have my excavator sitting there on the top of that wall building the next wall. So it's one of those you want to make sure everything's where it needs to be. I guess for a reference, um, I've got a picture here, kind of just as an engineering plan when they give me details on how to build a retaining wall. If you look at the bottom section right there below that that'd be the retaining wall there, that F, they spec what has to be below that wall for a foundation. Usually um, that says approved 5 8 minus crushed structural fill so it has to be compacted to a certain density and then um, then that C is how much berry has to be on that lower rock. And then the F there is the rock. And then they specify what size of rock I have to put in the bottom. You know, it depends on how tall the wall is, all that. So it's, they spell out kind of what has to be the foundation for a retaining wall for it to be structural. and. Um, It just got me thinking about our Christian, we're done with that too, thank you, and uh, our Christian walk and, you know, reading Luke 6, 46 to 49, building a solid foundation. So why do you keep calling me Lord, Lord, when you don't know what I say? I will show you what it is like when someone comes to me, listens to my teaching, and then follows it. It is like a person building a house who digs deep and lays the foundation on solid rock. When the floodwaters rise and break against that house, it stands firm because it is well built. But anyone who hears and doesn't obey it is like a person who builds a house without a foundation." When the floods sweep down against that house, it will collapse into a heap of ruins. And um, so what, what makes up our foundations? How do we build a solid foundation in our Christian faith? Um, Hebrews 6, 1 through 3 kind of talks about, and that's kind of what I'm going to use for my um, engineering plan, if you will. Um, so Hebrews six one through three. So let us stop going over the basic teachings about Christ again and again. Let us go on instead of instead and become mature in our understanding. Surely we don't need to start again with the fundamental importances of repenting from evil deeds, placing our faith in God. You don't need further instruction about baptism the laying on of hands the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment and so god willing we'll move forward to further understanding so i kind of wanted to just go over those foundations i know a lot of us are understand it but it was kind of just neat for me i guess kind of going over the those building blocks or foundation stones of the christian faith so we'll start with repentance Repentance is about change and transformation. It is not just a one-time thing. As we grow and learn, the things of the Lord will be made... Oh, sorry about that. The things of the Lord. We will make mistakes. The process of change can take a long time. So the need to repent and seek change will also take time. This is not a one-time event. This is a lifetime of repentance... And um, Lord, making changes in our lives, in the Acts uh, two thirty-seven to thirty-nine, Peter's words pierced their hearts, and they said to him and to the other apostles, "Brothers, what should we do?" Oops, sorry. I'm cut off there. Okay, 37. Yeah, I was right. Peter's words pierced their hearts, and they said to him and to the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is to you and to your children and even to the Gentiles, all who have been called by the Lord our God. Um, then the next is faith. Faith is the essence of our walk with Christ, and faith is the power that fuels our Christian walk. Romans 4:13 through25. Clearly God's promise to give the whole earth to Adam and his descendants was based not on his obedience to God's law, but on a right relationship with God that comes by faith. If God's promise is only for those who obey the law, then faith is not necessary and the promise is pointless, for the law always brings punishment on those who try to obey it. The only way to avoid breaking the law is to have no law to break. So the promise is received by faith. It is given as a free gift, and we are all certain to receive it, whether or not we live according to the law of Moses. if we have faith like Abraham's, for Abraham is the father of all who believe. That is what the scripture means when God told him, "I have made you the father of many nations." This happened because Abraham believed in the, good, in the God who brings the dead back to life and who creates new things about out of nothing. Even when there was no reason for hope, Abraham kept hoping, believing that he would become the father of many nations, for God had said to him, what, that how, that's how many descendants you will have. And Abraham's faith did not weaken, even though at about a hundred years of age, he figured his body was as good as dead, and so was Sarah's womb. Abraham never wavered in believing God's promise. In fact, his faith grew stronger, and in this, he brought glory to God. He was fully convinced that God is able to do whatever he promises, and because of Abraham's faith, God counted him as righteous. And when God continued er, it was just as it wasn't just for Abraham's benefit it was recorded for our benefit too, assuring us that God will also count us as righteous if we believe in him, the one who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. He was handed over to die because of our sins, and he was raised to life to make us right with God. Which brings us to the next point of baptism. When we are baptized, we are baptized into the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Through baptism, we die and are raised with Christ to become new creations. It is how we are born again, no longer as people of this world, but as children of God. Uh, Romans 6, 1 through 11. Well then, should we keep on sinning so that God can show us more and more of his wonderful grace? Of course not. Since we have died to sin, how can we continue to live in it? Or if you have forgotten, or have you forgotten that when we were joined with Jesus Christ in baptism, we joined him in death? For we died and are buried with Christ by baptism, and joined as Christ was raised And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live new lives. Since we have been united with him in his death, and we will also be raised to life as he was, we know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives. We are no longer slaves to sin, for when we died with Christ, we were set free from the power of sin. And since we died with Christ, we know we will also live with him. We are sure of this because Christ was raised from the dead and he will never die again. Death no longer has any power over him. When he died, he did it once to break the power of sin. But now that he lives, he lives for the glory of God. So you also should consider yourselves to be dead to the power of sin and alive to God through Jesus Christ. I really like that last verse. So, and then, that kind of just explains the course of baptism. And then I wanted to read Matthew 3, 13 through 17, kind of just showing, um, I mean, G- Jesus laying the example for us. For it is the God of Abraham... Hand, okay. No, got on the wrong side here. I thought I'd be smart and make notes in here and, or bookmarks, and I got off on them. Matthew three thirteen through seventeen. Then Jesus went from Galilee to the Jordan River to be baptized by John, but John tried to talk him out of it. I am the one who needs to be baptized by you. He said, so why are you coming to me? But Jesus said, it should be done, for we must carry out all that God requires. So John agreed to baptize him, and after his baptism, as Jesus came up out of the water, the heavens were opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and settling on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my Dearly loved Son, who brings me great joy. So, I mean, Jesus, a man who never sinned, laid in the example for us in baptism as well. So, then the next one I want to talk about was laying on of hands. The laying on of hands offers a connection between brothers and sisters in the Lord, but even more with Christ. There's a great value and power in the connection provided by laying on of hands in the Lord, healing as well as receiving the Holy Spirit. So it kind of breaks into two, two separate ways there. I mean, and the healing, that Jesus talked about several times of touching when he was healing or laying on of hands for healing, but also in the receiving of the Holy Spirit. Let um, me do Acts 19, 1 through 6. While Apollos was in Corinth, Paul traveled through the interior regions until he reached Ephesus on the coast, where he found several believers. Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed, he asked them. No, they replied. We haven't even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. Then what baptism did you experience, he asked, and they replied, the baptism of John, Paul said, John's baptism called for repentance from sin, but John himself told the people to believe in the one who would come later, meaning Jesus. As soon as they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then when Paul laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they spoke in other tongues and prophesied. There were about 12 men in all. So just the importance of the laying on of hands and prayer, the connection there. And then we come to resurrection, the core of our Christian faith. Jesus Christ came to earth, taught the gospel of salvation to us, lived a perfect life, died to cover our sins, and most of all, he was raised from the dead. He promised to set us free from our sins and the law in his death to make us righteous by his resurrection because of this god declares us righteous when we believe that he was raised that he raised jesus from the dead and gives us the free gift of righteousness by faith 1 corinthians 15:12 But tell me this, since we preach that Christ rose from the dead, why are some of you saying there will be no resurrection of the dead? For if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, then all our preaching is useless, and your faith is useless. And we apostles would all be lying about God. For we have said that God raised Christ from the grave, but that can't be true if there is no resurrection of the dead. And if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is useless. And you are still guilty of your sins. In that case, all who have died believing in Christ are lost. And if, your, if our hope in Christ is only for this life, we are more to be pitied than anyone in the world. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. He is the first. Of a great harvest of all who have died. So you see, just as death came into the world through a man, now the resurrection from the dead has begun through another man. Just as everyone dies because we all belong to Adam, everyone who belongs to Christ will be given new life. But there is an order to this resurrection. Christ was raised at the first of the harvest, then all who belong to Christ, will be raised when he comes back. That's exciting there. Um, Which gets us to our final point, eternal judgment, something we all get to face. We all have to make a choice. We can choose to follow God and be with him. In his new heaven and new earth that uh, is described in Revelation, or we can reject God and receive eternal punishment. And I know a lot of us made that choice, but I just want to just encourage anyone who hasn't and gone through these steps of laying a strong foundation. That we seek God, be sure to put Him above all things in our lives. And receive the promised eternal life as our eternal judgment. Revelations 21 1 through 8. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth from the old heaven, for the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared, and the sea was also gone. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven like a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, Look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them, and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. And the one sitting on the throne said, Look, I am making everything new. And then he said to me, Write this down. For what I tell you is trustworthy and true, and he also said, it is finished. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To all who are thirsty, I will give freely from the springs the water of life. All who are victorious will inherit all the blessings, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. But cowards, unbelievers, the corrupt, murderers, the immoral, those who practice witchcraft, idol worshipers and all liars. Their fate is the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. So I don't know about anybody else, but it's pretty, pretty clear which one I would rather be in. So just kind of the building blocks, go over them again. Repentance, faith, baptism, laying on of hands, the resurrection, and our eternal judgment. It was just kind of a... I don't know, I enjoyed studying, I apologize, hopefully it all makes sense, kind of reading through it, I tried to shorten it as much as I could, it's a lot, but just how important a good solid foundation is, especially, I know raising little ones up, I want to lay a good foundation for them as well, so I just encourage each family and everyone to just make sure we have a good foundation in our Lord. So anyway, I will pray, That's, if everyone wants to stand we will pray, and I'll invite the worship team up. Lord, I just want to thank you so much for today. I want to thank you for your many blessings. I want to thank you for sending your son for us. And I just want to thank you for the opportunity we have to come together and worship you. Just pray that you would bless the service. Amen.
1: Okay, so I am Paul Flatto. I am one of the elders here and I'm filling in for Pastor Jason today. And um so uh just to let you know, um I am the eldest elder as a matter of fact and but Brian, he's starting to get the gray hair too, so I, you know, what can I say? Um so uh Just to, uh, a little lesson before we get started, I wanna talk about pride. Pride is insidious. I don't know if you know what that means, but um, I'll give you an example. Um, A few weeks back, I was there minding my own business, and um, I got a phone call. And I looked, I don't know who this is, and I answered it. And it was a, a local business owner. And he's like, hey, you know, our business is growing. And, you know, we, we're looking for people. And would you like to work for me? And I'm just like, I'm 61 years old. I don't get calls like this, you know. And so I, I'll think about it, you know. And then I, you know, I was thinking about, man, you know, I, I must be pretty good if I get a <laughs> call. I mean, you know what? You know, I mean, I must be... I don't know what, but it's something is very appealing to him. So I, um, I talked to um, another employee of this uh, local business, and I said, "Hey, I got a phone call from your boss, and he wants me to come work for him." You know, and he says, "And this is no joke." He says, "Yeah, they need somebody with gray hair to watch the counter." You know, and I'm just like. <laughs> Okay. So speaking of insidious pride, um, I feel like I am a pretty excellent preacher at preaching to one person. And um, I can prove this to you. So I, I actually did a sermon a while back, and I don't know if any of you recall but I remember what it was. So I just, just, maybe you could raise your hand if you remembered what I talked about. That, not all at once, but you know. <laughs> yeah, so I can, I can preach to one person really well, and that's myself. So that's, that's a part of what I'm doing today. Um, and I want to thank Daniel and blame him for what we're talking about today. Sorry, Daniel, but um, um, he's kind of challenged me in some of my beliefs, and and um, so that's how I kind of got started on this road. So, yeah, back in November, uh, we talked about salvation here, and kind of went through a lot of scriptures, and so I will review for those of you that maybe you didn't get it all, I'll review it for you, so... Um, Basically, uh, we went through a lot of scriptures and salvation has got like three parts to it. And so the first part is we are saved. In the past, you know, if, you, if you've accepted the Lord, you have been saved. And um, so that means we are justified. That means, you know, we don't have to pay the penalty for our sin so we are separated from the penalty of sin. Okay, we, we like that one. That's good. Okay, and then in the present, we are being saved. What's that talking about? We are being sanctified. And uh, Caleb actually, one of the verses he shared is, we are no longer slaves to sin. We don't have to sin. Sometimes we do, though. So, so um, in fact, maybe more often than we'd like to admit. So, we, the sin no longer has power over us. But we're in the process of, you know, trying to make the right choice there. It takes It takes your lifetime to figure that one out. And then in the future, we will be saved. And, um, this is separation from the presence of sin, and I am looking forward to that. Um, that's, that's you know, that's what we're working toward. Okay, so we're in this present situation of, you know, we're trying to choose uh, not to sin, but sometimes we don't choose correctly. Sometimes. We choose to sin, or sometimes we even accidentally sin. So what do we do? I mean, what's, imp- what's the remedy for that? And so I I started thinking about confession. And, um, and I actually, this is another thing that Caleb quoted this morning. I don't know if you realize this, but um, I had read... Martin Luther's first thesis, I actually listened to a book about Martin Luther, and his first thesis was, theses, I guess I got to say that right, Um, when our Lord and Master Jesus Christ said, repent, he willed the entire life of believers to be one of repentance, and I believe that's you got some of those exact words Caleb this morning. And so the the verse that he is basing this on is Matthew 4:17. And so we'll just look at that quickly. <clears throat> From that time Jesus began to preach saying, "Change your hearts and lives because the kingdom of God is near." So this was the beginning of Jesus' public ministry, and a lot. Most of your Bibles, most translations say repent, but the, that's what the idea is. You change what you're doing. You, you're going to change. Okay. <clears throat> so I want to. So part of repentance is confession, and. I, you know, we all get different ideas when we hear that word confession. Um, but I want to zero in on it, and it it's a very key part of repentance. Confession is, is you know, necessary for repentance. Uh, in the past, it has been abused. I mean, there was a time when the Christian church... Um, Turned it into a very lucrative business that made money off of confession. Um, you know, in Martin Luther's time. So, so the question for us is, is this important for us now? Um, do we need to practice it? Or do we just need to do it once? Okay, maybe you guys all got some ideas there, but let's, let's look at the scriptures. Um, we'll start out in the Old Testament. I, I do have a lot of scriptures today, and um, I know that Caleb had a lot too, so we're working Theron overtime today, but uh, he's pretty good at this, so I appreciate that, Theron. Um, so the first reference I found in the Bible was in Leviticus, Leviticus five. Verses 5 and 6. And, and preceding this, there's a long list of things we shouldn't do. You know, command, you know, don't, don't do this, don't do that. You know, and, and so then it, it, this verse is kind of down on the list. When anyone is guilty of any of these things, he must tell how he sinned. Okay, he must tell how he sinned. That's confession, He must bring an offering to the Lord as a penalty for sin. It must be a female lamb or goat from the flock. The priest will perform the acts to remove that person's sin so he will belong to the Lord. So we see this first example of of how confession is part of repentance and it's what gets us reconciled to God. Okay, okay. So, um, let's look at one more Old Testament um, scripture. Um, uh, now, let me back up a little bit. Um, repentance is all about what's going on in our heart. If it isn't from our heart, it is meaningless. So, it's, it's just, and it's pretty hard to confess something without being humble and, you know, um, bringing it from our heart. So that's, that's the purpose of it. Sometimes we get messed up there. But, but notice in the verse we just read, it, it didn't say, you know, you could just bring a sacrifice and you're, all, you're good. No, you had to tell what you did wrong. Um, okay, so now this other reference is Numbers uh, chapter 5, verses 5 through 7. This is a little different type of sin. So let's, let's pay attention. The Lord said to Moses, tell the Israelites when a man or woman does something wrong to another person. So this isn't breaking, just breaking a command. This is when, when your sin involves doing something wrong to another person. Okay, so that is really sinning against the Lord. Wow, so not only are you sinning against that person, you're sinning against the Lord because you know, the Lord created that person and, and you know, you're not showing respect for his creation. That person is guilty and must admit the wrong that has been done. The person must fully pay for the wrong that has been done, adding one-fifth to it and giving it to the person who was wronged. Okay, so um, there's also restitution in this verse. And the idea that you're sinning against God, thats we need to think about that. And, and not only do you pay back whatever you might have stolen, you have to add something to it, you know? <clears throat> Okay, so one more reference from the Old Testament. This is Psalm 32, verse 5. Then I confessed my sins to you and didn't hide my guilt. I said, I will confess my sins to the Lord, and you forgave my guilt. Um Notice in this passage that you can confess your sins to God. Um, so, and and the purpose of confession is, you know, it's part of repentance, and it's to be freed from this guilt that plagues us, and to be cleaned. You know, and it's it's such a freeing thing, and it it comes from our heart. And so this, this you could probably do in private, where you're just confessing it to God. Okay, so that's there's a, just a quick overview of Old Testament references. So, you know, oh, you say, well, maybe those don't really apply. We're under the New Covenant, right? Okay, so let's look at some New Testament references to repentance. <clears throat> Matthew 3... Verses 5 and 6. And this is John the Baptist. He's kind of out in the desert by the Jordan River. And, you know, he's an odd sort of a person. And he is preaching this, um, you know, he's preparing the world for Jesus' ministry. And he's preaching this uh, ministry of repentance Many people came from Jerusalem and Judea and all the area around the Jordan River to hear John. They confessed their sins and he baptized them in the Jordan River. Okay, so, uh, you know, get a picture of this. You know, there's a bunch of people by the river and they're confessing their sins. So, and then they're being baptized. So this is very, very much public. You know, you're doing this in front of people. You're confessing your sins and you're being baptized. And so uh, very public. Am I messing with you now? Are you starting to get uncomfortable? I know I am. It's okay. Let's look at another one Acts 19, verse 18. Okay, so this would be, you know, the church age and notice what this verse says. This kind of bugs me. Many of the believers, believers, we're not talking about people that don't believe, began to confess openly and tell all the evil things they had done. Openly. Out loud, in front of everybody. Holy cow. I don't know about you, but this this, I'm getting uncomfortable. Let's take a break. I've got to get a drink, yeah. So this is, you know, of course, hard for us to do. But I also think there's a lot of power in it. Okay, let's look at um, I'm really going to mess with you now let's look at James I hate reading James James 5 verse 16 actually this one isn't so bad so yeah we're okay confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so God can heal you when a believing person prays great things happen so this should be the pattern for the, the church when when we do something wrong, you know, maybe we pray and God man, I messed that up. And but maybe we also, I mean, maybe you start out telling your your wife or your husband and or your best friend, or you know, I'm trying to make it easy, you know. Let's let's maybe we should do some of these things. <clears throat> Um, And then the other part of this verse that's interesting is confession can lead to better health. Isn't that interesting? Getting your heart right reduces stress, makes you feel better. I mean, isn't that a good thing? Okay. Well, maybe, maybe you don't sin that much. Maybe, or maybe you sin hardly at all, right? I mean, you know, some of us are doing pretty good, right? Let's look at one more verse. 1 John 1, 8 and 9. Oh, no. If we say we have no sin, we are fooling ourselves. And the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he will forgive our sins because we can trust God to do what is right. He will cleanse us from all the wrongs we have done. We're fooling ourselves. Hmm. So do we need to confess? Uh, I'd say, yeah, if we sin, we need to confess it. And why do we need to confess? Because we keep on sinning. Okay. I want to talk about, this is a little abstract, but it's very real. Generational sin and how we can deal with that. So this is... You know, I didn't come up with this. God did this, and I, you know, it kind of bothers me sometimes. But um, it's the way God set it up, and the way it's the way sin is actually. Sin is so uh, it's it's like it's so polluting. It can really affect not just yourself, but a lot of people around you. Okay, so just to get a little perspective, we all have parents. Okay, now, don't all raise your hands at once, but who has parents that never sinned? None of my children are here. They'd all have their hands up, I'm sure. No, they wouldn't have their hands up. Um, So nobody's raising their hand. So we are all affected by this generational sin thing. It it affects all of us. So let's look at one of the Ten Commandments. It kind of spells it out for us. This is Exodus 20, verses 5 and 6. You must not worship or serve any idol, because I, the Lord, am a jealous God. If you hate me, I will punish your children, and even your grandchildren, and great-grandchildren. But I will show kindness to thousands who love me and obey my commands. So, you know, the first thing when you read this, you think, you know, I'll just say what you guys are thinking. That's not fair. Is that fair? I mean... My dad's, my grandfather sin. I didn't, it wasn't, I didn't do anything, right? <clears throat> yeah, it's not fair. Be careful when you're talking about fairness to God because I'm not getting what I deserve. I don't know about you, but um, yeah. We, none of us are getting what we deserve. So here we are. We're in this predicament. We all have had sinful parents. We're all affected by this sin that's, you know, affected their lives, is affecting our lives, you know, or maybe grandparents, maybe great-grandparents, some stuff you don't even know about. What can we do about that? What a predicament. Okay, so let's go back to the Old Testament. This is Nehemiah 1, 5, and 6. And Nehemiah is, this is the time when the captivity for the Israelites is is ending. You know, they've been captive in Babylon. They're coming back to Jerusalem and they're rediscovering their Jewish, you know, religion. So let's read this. This is Nehemiah praying for Israel. Lord God of heaven, you are the great God who is to be respected. You are loyal and you keep your agreement with those who love you and obey your commands. Look and listen carefully. Hear the prayer that I, your servant, am praying to you day and night for your servants, the Israelites. I will confess the sins we Israelites have done against you. My father's family and I have sinned against you. What an interesting concept. So he's not only confessing his own sin and and his fellow Israelites, but he's also saying his father's family has sinned. So... Wow, this this gives us a little hope here. Maybe we can confess sins that we didn't even do or didn't even, maybe don't even know about. Okay, let's look at another verse from Nehemiah. This is um, chapter 9, verses 2 and 3. those people whose ancestors were from israel had separated themselves from all foreigners so that was part of what they had to do they a lot of them had married uh, women from other countries and that was the part of you know getting back to being jews they they had to you know stop doing that they stood and confessed their sins and their ancestors sins wow their sins and their ancestors' sins. And not only did they just stood and them, for a fourth of a day they stood where they were and read from the book of the teachings of the Lord their God. For another fourth of the day they confessed their sins and worshipped the Lord their God. This is like serious confession, like three hours, maybe more, I don't know, but... It's a lot of confessing and a lot of worshiping and and a lot of you know learning what the law was and a lot of changing of the heart. But it was powerful. It really it changed the course of their country. So this is something we can do do too, and and it. You know, sometimes there is sin, and you can see this. You can look at your family. You know, maybe your grandfather. Maybe there's, maybe there's alcoholism in your family, or, or, or you know, a tendency toward it. Or maybe, maybe it's addiction, or maybe it's um, sexual sin. I mean, we can break these chains. That's, that's part of this section that we're in where, where we are being sanctified. We can break these chains. And confession is a big part of that. We, we need to confess our ancestor sins. Okay, man, I'm going fast here. I can't see that clock. For, well, we'll get, maybe we'll get done early. So I'm just going to review. Um, so the first point... We are justified and are in the process of being sanctified. Confession is part of that process. So we're in, the, we're in the sanctification stage, and confession is part of that. Two, confession is not effective if it isn't from your heart. You know, if it's just saying words that don't mean anything to you, but don't bother. Three, confession can be private, but at times should be public, especially when it involves other people. When you've sinned against somebody, you've got to go to that person. Four, we can confront generational sin by confessing it. That gives me hope, you know. I know there's things in my family that, you know, go back for generations and um, there's hope to change that. Okay, and then uh, just a little perspective on the other end of the spectrum here. Uh, Point five. We don't need to confess every sin we have ever committed forever. You know, this is... You know, once you've confessed it, you, you know, you're, you're forgiven, you're, you're good. So, and the example I thought of, actually my, well, my wife thought of this, I will share with you, is um, when Peter, when, well, when Jesus was washing the disciples' feet, you remember the story, he comes to Peter, Peter says, you aren't going to wash my feet, and Jesus says, hey, if, you, if I don't wash your feet, you don't have any part of me. And so Peter says, well, then wash my whole body. I mean, I want it all. And what did Jesus say to him? He said, you're already clean. You just, you just need your feet washed. That's what's dirty. So let's just wash your feet. So, yeah, we need to keep it in balance. Okay, so as we work out our salvation... Um, came across a verse or heard a verse that really encouraged me um, this is hebrews 12 two and you know it, this whole salvation thing it's it's a process and you know uh, there again I, I appreciate Caleb's opening you know with all the the foundational truths of of Christian doctrine you know this is just a little part of that but um, but this is, this is the attitude we need to have when we are working out our salvation. We're trying to figure out how to live. Let us look only to Jesus. The one who began our faith, he began it. And the one who makes it perfect, he's perfecting it. He suffered death on the cross but he accepted the shame as if it were nothing because of the joy that God put before him. And now he is sitting at the right side of God's throne. So, you know, I guess I don't want you to feel like confession is something that, um, you know, if you don't cross this off the list, you don't get it, you know, it's, Look to Jesus. He's the one who's helping you, you know, work out your salvation. And he's the one that started this in us. He's the one that's going to perfect it. So depend on him. And, and he will tell you when to confess something, you know. So that's uh, comforting to me. Um, so I think what we should do now is uh, stand up and Pray. And, you know, hey, as long as we're here and talking about confession, um, I'm not going to ask anybody to publicly confess, but uh, maybe I'll pray a little bit and then we'll just leave a little silent time and, um, you know, do a little confession on your own and then I'll close. Lord, we thank you for your word. Thank you for how it teaches us. Lord, I am so thankful that we, can, we have a remedy for the sin that keeps fouling us up. And not only our own sin, but our family's sin. Thank you for providing a way out for us, Lord. And Lord, help us to know what to confess. And I just pray for everyone here that, that you would reveal that to them. I just thank you for the freedom from sin and guilt and that you wash us clean. Lord, let's pray for a blessing on everyone as they go from here. Just help us to work out our salvation. I pray in your name. Amen. Okay, you are dismissed.